Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Or excuse me, chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Well, I get to McDonald's once in a great while in the morning. And uh, I, uh, I noticed a pickup truck that was there. It's there for a while and it's not there. And, and so I'm presuming it's also owned by somebody who's a regular at McDonald's. And it had a sign on the side that looked like a business, one of those magnetic business signs, you know, that you put on your truck so you can take the deduction off your taxes. And it said, technocracy. And I thought, technocracy. And when I first looked at it, I have a friend in Seattle, a guy in our church in Seattle that works for an outfit called Tanknology. And, and he services gas tanks, including in, in Ferndale. He comes to Ferndale every so often. And, you know, and so I thought, I was looking at thinking tanknocracy. It's something to do with tanks. But no, it was technocracy. And so finally one day I recognized, I figured out who it was at McDonald's that belonged to this truck. So I said, uh, hey, uh, what's technocracy? And he started into this explanation and I expected him to say, well, it's a business that does this or that, and this is kind of a semi-retired guy, so I figured he'd say, I'm a, I'm a courier, you know, I drive stuff around for them or whatever. But he launches into this worldview, and technocracy is some kind of a worldview, and uh, the one thing that I remembered was that, of course, the reason we're at war is because it's profitable for Lord, large corporations. You know, that rifle they used during the Vietnam War, the company who made it made a 15,000% profit. And if we could just conscript businesses like we conscript soldiers, that is, have a draft, then they couldn't make profit on the war, then the war would go away. He says, could I get you my newsletter? I said, sure. I thought, man, this, here's a whole something I've never... And I, I said, is this kind of a think tank? He said, yeah, well, it started out that way back in the early 1900s. And, and it's a whole bunch of stuff, kind of uh, environmentalism, but not from the environmentalist point of view, more so from a, a worldview, uh, how we're going to save the world kind of a thing. And I just thought, this guy who sits there and jaws every day at McDonald's, He's that much into a worldview and a philosophy of life that he has a newsletter and a sign on the side of his truck. Obviously, to get people like me to ask about it. He's looking for converts. He thinks he knows the solution to the world's problems. Now think about this. This guy thinks he knows the solution to the world's problems. He's willing to put a sign on the side of his truck. He has a newsletter. He's ready to talk about it at a moment's notice. Do I need to really work to draw the application to what I'm about to say today? <laughs> Do you, does anybody here know the solution to the world's problems? What? Yes. Do you know what people need? Man, that is weak. I'm telling you, this guy at McDonald's believes what he believes more strongly than what you just said. We've been looking at a series of topics relative to maturity. What is a mature Christian? How can, what is your target? 
as you would look ahead and say, I intend to be mature, or as you would look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, I am mature, or I'm sort of mature. I want to help define your target, what, your, your standard of evaluation, and I want to challenge you to raise up to be mature. And today I want to say, when I grow up, I want to make disciples. Mature believers make disciples. Follow me from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want to think first of all about the meaning of making disciples and define what a disciple is. Some people use the word disciple in Christian circles, and some people don't. And uh, it's a Bible word, and the, the, the essence of what it means to be a disciple is used here. First of all, a disciple is a receiver of God's truth. Look at verse 5. The Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a town. It's still a town in Greece. It's called Thessaloniki today in Greece. He went there and preached the gospel. Verse 5, For our gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. A disciple is a receiver of God's truth. You cannot be a disciple of God or a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have not heard the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Disciples are only made with the input of the Scripture. Secondly, a disciple is a follower. Once the, once the person hears the truth, they have to make a decision to follow. Verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Now the Apostle Paul was not starting a cult. He was not trying to get people to follow him as in he was a great man. But the pattern that God has set up is, is that mature Christians like Paul demonstrate what it means to be a Christian. And so others who are trying to follow Jesus can take their cues from a mature Christian. It doesn't mean that they don't read the Bible and they don't take a, a direct example from the Lord there in the Gospels or that sort of thing. But they became a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the there is a difference between being a believer in Christ and 
following Christ with your life. Um, there are a lot more people who will say, oh, I believe in Jesus, than the ones who will say, I do my best every day to obey God's word. I try to learn God's word so I know how to live. That's what a follower of Jesus Christ is. The third thing that a disciple is from this passage is a worshiper of God alone. Look at verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had and how you turned to God from idols. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have partial belief in any other deity or religious system. You have to fully follow the Lord. The word repent means to turn from the way you were going to go a new way. You can't hang on to Jesus with one hand and Buddha with the other hand. You cannot hang on to Jesus with one hand and you name it with the other hand. A lot of religions, a lot of these religions over here would be happy if you did that. They turned to God from idols. They worship God alone. A true disciple worships God alone. So as we think of the definition of a disciple, I would ask you today, are you a disciple? Have you received God's truth? If you've been in our church more than once, then you surely have heard the gospel at least once, maybe twice. And, and many times, if you've been here many times, have you received that have you said yes i welcome that truth it's another way to say to believe do you welcome the truth of god and then are you following jesus christ are you seeking to pattern your life after him and are you a worshiper of god alone that's what a disciple is what is the definition of a disciple maker that's what i want to talk about today is to say are you actively making disciples a disciple-maker, first of all, is a disciple himself. Look again at verse 5. Our gospel did not come to you in just word. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul out reading the Bible, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. God asks us to demonstrate the truth so that people can see the reality. I shared with my Sunday school class earlier that just this week I was appointed as the, the senior chaplain for the sheriff's department, and there's going to be several other pastors that I'm going to train, and we're going to work together to be a part of the sheriff's department. The sheriff has invited us to come in to work with his deputies and the people in the jail and the search and rescue and the, and the reserve deputies. They've invited us to come in essentially <laughs> to do what we do all the time in the sheriff's department. Now, if you don't think that's not a miracle, and I'm not talking a miracle here, I'm talking a miracle in the whole country where there are things like this all over the country. They bring us in because they know there are certain things we can handle that nobody else can, and it's not because of us. It's because God is in us. Now, what's the great responsibility and the great fear that I have? That I won't represent Christ well. And believe me, I could share several mistakes that I made in Tukwila. Words that came out that should not have come out. 
and I had to go back and apologize. There were several officers in Tukwila who claimed to be Christian and clearly demonstrated an ungodly form in their life. And what does that do to the process of making disciples? I had somebody say to me once in one organization I was part of, I, I said something that I thought was funny, and they told a friend that wasn't right. He's the pastor. They're holding Christians to a higher standard. Your fellows around you, your, your, your gal pals around you are holding you to a higher standard, whether they'll say it or not. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, you've got to be willing to say, God, help me live a consistently righteous life, especially in front of the people who don't know you. That's what the Apostle Paul did, and the result of that was when the Thessalonian Christians heard the message and saw his life, they said, this is the real deal. That's how you make disciples. You may do it in Sunday school, you may do it in the PTA, you may do it here, there, or wherever, but it's got to be the word spoken and the example lived. A disciple maker is God's representative. They are first of all a disciple themselves. Secondly, a disciple maker is God's agent. God's agent. Look at the word in verse 4, the word election. Some of you who may be newer to Christianity may be thinking, what did God get together with the angels and have a voice vote on who's going to become a Christian? No, the word could be well translated choosing. And if we look at the whole doctrine of this in the New Testament, we understand this. We are so enslaved in our sin that if God didn't reach down and open our eyes and lead us to the truth, we would never be able to believe. And so what this tells me as I think about making disciples is I'm not alone in this. I, I, am, I don't stand up here and think, boy, this is all up to me. i got to whip these people into shape. Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm God's agent. God has sent me with his word, whether it's here or the sheriff's department or McDonald's for breakfast or wherever it is. It's me and him. I am his agent. He is not going to come in person again in this age. And so he has sent me. But when I go, I don't go alone. I think God's at work here. He is, he's working in some of these people. I've had a privilege in, in recent days to, to spend some time with folk that are really seeking the Lord and trying to open the word for them. Do you know why they're seeking the Lord? Because God's at work in them. I didn't do anything to get them to seek the Lord. They just came along and said, hey, what's all this about? What a great, what a great thing. We work together with God. Look at this verse. I love this verse. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. A disciple maker is a fellow worker of God. A co-worker. Can you believe that? Now again, don't get a big head. God could do it without you if he chose. But he's chosen to do it with you. It is your privilege to take the word of God to people. Wow, what a great thing. A disciple maker is God's agent. We don't make disciples on our own. We carry God's truth and the power of the Holy Spirit and God takes that truth and he takes our witness and he causes other people to believe. What a great thing. Thirdly, a disciple maker communicates God's truth. 
The central concept of making disciples is that we are trying to help people know the truth and then we're encouraging them to believe the truth. You know it's not up to you to make disciples, but it is up to you to share the truth. God has to convert the heart, but you're the one that has to share the truth. And you need to take great encouragement from that. At the end of the day, God doesn't look at you and say, well, boy, you didn't didn't turn that person to the light side. At the end of the day, God will look at you and say, you did good, you shared the truth, now it's my business. That's the balance that we have here. I had a pastor friend who used to say, I work all day like it depends on me, and I sleep at night because it depends on God. We are God's agents. We must share the truth. If you have a Sunday school class and a wanna group or whatever, it's just your job to speak the truth, to share God's truth, to teach it, to explain it, certainly to encourage it. Paul said he persuaded men, but ultimately it's God who gives the increase. He is the one who changes people's hearts. What is our motivation for making disciples? This probably is kind of the heart of what I want to challenge you with today. The first motivation is this, gratefulness for our salvation. Are you glad you're a Christian? I mean, have you ever stopped and thought of what it would be like to not be a Christian? Maybe as you look at people around you who who struggle. Listen to what Paul said. Then last of all, he, Jesus, was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. Now, stop and think about that phrase just for a minute. Who wrote more scripture by God's inspiration? Who wrote more than any other apostle? Paul, that's right. Who took the gospel message over the world, over the civilized world of his day? Paul, that's right. But he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Why? I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain or was not wasted. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. Do you know what he's saying? He says, when I look back at my life and I see what a sinner I was, It motivates me to serve the Lord. I am thankful for what I have. In order to become the chaplain of the police department, the the sheriff's department, I had to take a polygraph test, a lie detector test. Turns out I am honest. (laughs) There is only a 0.01% chance that that I've lied. 0.01, get that right. I had to answer a whole bunch of questions. And then they say, on the test, on the lie detector, they say, did you tell us the truth about all these questions? But the questions are very personal. And they go right, basically it says, have you ever done anything wrong, even things you didn't get caught for? Well, I got news for you, I did. I'm not proud of some things in my past. And I really don't want anybody to know about it. But you know what I do once in a while when one of those things pops up in my thinking? I say, thank you, God, for forgiving me. 
And it helps me to be motivated to serve the Lord. Look what God has done for me. He has forgiven this stuff. He doesn't take it into account. He doesn't hold a grudge. As far as the east is from the west, he takes the sin away. And that's what the apostle Paul knew. And so he served the Lord. When our children were little and we started having birthday parties, we had to teach them to be grateful for the gifts. You know how children can be. They want the great big Whopper John toy, and when their buddy Johnny gives them a ball, they're going, well, thanks, Johnny, you know, whatever. They are, you have to teach them, hey, you know, Johnny went to the store, and he, he picked that out for you, and you say you're thankful. Children don't know how to be thankful. We have to teach them how to be thankful. Mature Christians appreciate their salvation. They understand what they have. They understand what they've been given. And so they say, you know what? I want to help somebody else know that forgiveness. God worked hard to save me. I want to be his agent to save others. Second motivation for making disciples is obedience to the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We call this this verse and a couple of others that go with it, we call it the Great Commission or the Great Order. Not the Great Suggestion. <laughs> have you ever, I used to have a little plaque in my office about this big. It said, the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions. Who is responsible to share the message of Christ with the nations? Is it the missionaries who will be at our missionary conference at the end of the month of October? Yes. Is that all? Oh, pastors. Of course, all those 200 people at that retreat last week, they're responsible. Yes. And who else? That's right. So the question I'm asking you today is, are you making disciples? And I'm going to talk to you about how you're involved with that in a minute, so don't, don't give up hope yet. But God says we are all supposed to be making disciples. And so we need to ask, here's the question to put it to you this way. Are you obedient in the making of disciples or are you disobedient? That's not the way we ask the question very often. We need to be actively discipling someone. Now, some people will say, and maybe rightly so, to say, I'm not mature enough to be discipling someone. Okay, I'll give you that. So here's the question. Are you preparing to make disciples? Or are you just kind of holding there thinking, I don't want to get any more mature, then they're going to put me to work somewhere. So now that, obviously that is a disingenuous position. Either you are preparing to make disciples or you are making them and I think even the least mature Christian can contribute to disciple-making, and you'll see how in a minute. There's a third motivation, and that's love for the unsaved and the immature. And the reason I worded it that way is this. Making disciples is a twofold process. It begins with bringing someone to faith in Christ but it continues on with the maturing or growing up of the Christian. And so the question is, do you care about the unsaved and the immature? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus loved his people, and he wanted them to know the blessing of right relationship with God. And that's the question I want to ask you. Do, do you love people enough? Do you love the people sitting around you enough to say, I want to help them grow up in the Lord? When I came to the point of really giving my life to the Lord, and it, it, was, it was all about saying, okay, God, I, I want to know your peace and your joy so much that I will give you the control of my life. And as I feared, that entailed saying, even if it means being a pastor, that was just the worst thing I could imagine. That or a missionary, that would be even worse, you know, and I've been both, technically. Yeah, couldn't outpray my parents, yeah, that's right. But you know what? Once I surrendered to God my life, and I knew what it meant to have the peace and joy of God inside, the burden for becoming a pastor went like this, I want other people to know about this. This is a great thing. It wasn't that I wanted to be the head of this multinational corporation and make a six-figure salary like I am here, you know. <laughs> it was just saying, man, if I could help, and initially it was focused on teenagers. If I could just help some other teenagers not have a frustrated Christian life, I would like to help them do that. And God called me through that to be a youth pastor I love being a Christian. Would you just think about that statement for a minute? I love being a Christian. Do you love being a Christian? And just think about it. There are so many things we take for granted in the Christian life. You know, we're going to heaven someday. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. We don't stop and realize, you know, there's people out there. Man, they just, they don't have a clue. They don't have any confidence. I love being a Christian, and so I want others to know that joy. Frankly, I'm kind of baffled when I share the message and they go, eh, I don't think so. I'm just thinking, what's wrong with you? This is a great deal. And so I want to ask you today, do you care enough? Do you care enough for the unsaved and the immature to accept an assignment in the church that's challenging. See, a lot of us will do something easy, and that's good. There's easy stuff that needs to be done. But when somebody comes along and says, would you teach X, Y, Z? You think, oh, that's going to take effort and time and commitment. And so the question is, do you love people do you love the lord and people enough to say i'll even take an assignment that's challenging do you care enough to risk upsetting people do you know if you're if you're going to disciple people and you're going to tell them god's truth at some point they are not going to be happy with you but it's the best for them do you care enough to learn the truth so you can share well. Do you care enough to turn off the TV and connect with some people? Do you care enough? Now, what is the method of making disciples? 
First of all, I want to say this. Disciples are made by churches. You remember that little phrase a few years ago, it takes a village to raise a child? I, I don't necessarily agree with that uh, politically, but I think the concept is there in the church. Disciples are made by churches. And first of all, I want to say that evangelism is a team sport. And I don't mean to make light of it. I'm just using this analogy because I think you can understand that. When it comes to football, you know, if the Golden Eagles are going to continue to, to be the, the uh, champion of the world, they're going to have to play as a team, as apparently they have been the last few weeks. And I'm sure one of the things that the coach talks to them about is how they can play as a team better, more team-like, less individual-like. Evangelism is a team sport. Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? Apollos was a pastor at the Corinthian church. But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered. He's talking about the gospel seed. I planted it, Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Folks, if we're going to be successful in reaching people for Christ, we have to be a team. We have to be a team. We have to be more like a team. This is a team effort. How is it a team effort? Let me give you an idea. I, I hope that Chaplain Bill Tate, when he was here a couple weeks ago preaching in my place, I hope he shared about how people have come to Christ. And the thing that just blesses me in that is almost every single person in that hospital that he leads to Christ looks back in their life, sometimes 20 years ago, say, you know, 20 years ago, I had these friends who were Christians, and they shared with me, or they lived the example, or whatever, and now this person is at the crisis point, and they say, can you show me Christianity like those people? And he goes, yes, I can. You see, there's a team effort, isn't there? They planted the seed. Pastor Bill is watering that seed and actually leading people to faith in Christ. It's a team effort. My dad's church in Georgia reached him for the Lord. The Cedra Woolley Church and Pastor and Mrs. Eisenhart reached my mom for the Lord. Mom and dad and their church reached a gal named Elaine. Elaine became my Sunday school teacher, and her, together with my parents, reached me. Sue's church reached her. Sue and I and our youth group reached a guy named Bill Edwards. Bill Edwards commands the Awana Club at Nooksack, and who knows where this chain ends? It's a team effort. The question is not, are you getting down on your knees and praying the sinner's prayer with somebody every day? The question is, are you in that chain of disciple making? Are you in there somewhere? Are you a link in that chain? Don't feel bad because you can't look back and say, well, I led a hundred people to Christ. That doesn't matter. That's the point of that scripture we just read. It's God who gives the increase, but it's you who plants the seed. It's you who waters, and God gives the increase, and we all rejoice together and say, praise God, somebody came to faith in Christ. It's a team effort. Most recent testimony of faith in Christ I think we've heard would be Jerry and Mary Martin when they got baptized. 
The seeds were planted for them when they were little in churches that they went to. But when they came to our church, they were seeking to really get that faith confirmed. And the team started in the parking lot when they were welcomed. They'd gone to another church for a year, and of course the church wasn't really preaching the truth, but neither was it friendly in pulling them in. The team starts at the parking lot, and it continues in the foyer, and it continues in here with you people being friendly. They came in, and they could sense that something was going on, and it was positive. And you weren't even trying to minister to them. And the, and, and the team continues. The first hymn that we sang was a special hymn in Mary's life. That's of the Lord. Did we plan that because she was coming? No. But the Lord knew she was coming. It continues on with the preaching of the word. And you have a part in the preaching of the word because you pay my salary. So I get the privilege of sitting in there and studying and preparing to do this week by week. I couldn't do it otherwise. And the team continues with the welcome room and connecting and so on. It's a team effort. The question is not, are you leading people to Christ every day? The question is, are you on the team? Are you a, are you a link in that chain of disciple making? What a great privilege is ours. Evangelism is a team sport and maturity is a team sport. Again, a disciple is made by coming to faith in Christ and then by growing up in Christ. That's the maturity element. He, and Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. My job is to do right what I'm doing today. It's right what I did last week. Some of you are sitting in different seats today because of what you heard last week. And that's good. Now, take it the next step and don't just sit in a different seat, but meet those people that are sitting around you. You see, and that's my job. I'm supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We're all ministers here. And if I'm doing my job, then you're going to be ministering to each other until we all, we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a mature man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Our goal is to be like Jesus as individuals and as a church, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you understand that all those words that are about all and every, that's the deal. We've all got to be involved or we're going to be, we're going to be limping. We're going to be a little bit lame in our attempt to grow people up. If you don't have a, a piece of paper like the sermon notes in front of you, would you get a bulletin out or get a piece of paper? Put it right now. Get it out. Get a pen. I want you to write something down. We're not going to collect this and grade it, so don't worry. It's just for you, you and the Lord. I'd like you to write something on this paper. Would you write down the names... Write down one or two names of some people who you think are helping you 
to grow up in Christ. If you were to say, who helps me to grow in Christ? Who is my discipler, somebody who's building into my life? Who is one or two of those people? And put that on that piece of paper. And then, if I might say that's looking up the steps of maturity and seeing who's building in you, look down those steps of maturity and say, who am I trying to build into Who am I trying to disciple? Who is there in my world, whether it's in the church or out of the church, that I am an influence for Christ to them? Now, I don't want you to feel bad today. That's not my goal. I want you to get excited and realize you can be part, you are part of that every, and there should be people downstream from you that you are building into in Christ. And there should be people upstream from you that you are receiving from. If you're not receiving, you're not going to be a very good giver for long. Certainly this is part of what you receive, but it can't be all. And I want to challenge you to be thinking, God, help me to, to, to go farther. You know, the Thessalonians were good folk, and it was a good church, but Paul said, do more. Now I want you to think about some specific areas in the church. Sunday school teachers. Part of what I'm getting at today is a mentality. It's not just an activity, but a mentality. Sunday school teachers. I want to challenge you to make sure that you are doing more than just dispensing truth. Coming together and saying, here's the truth, boom, see you later. I want to challenge you to be saying, am I discipling my students? Am I looking out to see if they are growing up in Christ? And again, we would come back to the fact that Paul not only gave him the the truth, but he put his life, he gave his life toward it. Paul modeled Christ. You can't fully model Christ until you get outside the church walls. And what I'm talking about is getting together with your students outside these walls into some some more real-life kind of things or some fun things or whatever, and just letting them see how you live. Awana workers, when you think about showing up on Wednesday evening, I want you to ask God to help you Make disciples, not just make it through another evening. We had 60 kids for Awana on our opening night. Okay, that's, that's pretty much capacity in some ways. I mean, we could, we could handle more, but it's really going to take some adaptation. And if we're going to handle more, we're going to have to have more workers. You know, on that list, if there was nobody downstream from you, there's nobody that you're influencing for the Lord, starting in Awana would be a great place to serve because all you have to do is listen to kids say verses and help them memorize those verses and sign their little book and lead them around to play games. You don't have to prepare or anything. But I want to make sure you're not just signing the book and you're not just leading the game, but you're saying, God, help me make disciples. You have a chance to influence kids for the Lord. 
You know somebody who helped disciple me when I was a, about a ninth grader? My, my parents pastored a church up in Darrington. It was an hour away from Marysville. There was no kids there. And very graciously, they let me go down to the First Baptist Church in Marysville. And there was somebody who I wish I knew their name so I could thank them today. There was somebody who came to my house every week and picked me up and took me to Sunday school. That was a great ministry to me as a young teenager. I needed to be there with those other kids. Me by picking me up and taking me. They were interested in me. They talked to me. It can be as simple as that. Awana leaders make disciples. Teenage Awana workers. We've got some teenagers who go and help in Awana. I think that's great. Let me challenge you to be thinking Am I making disciples of little kids? Or am I just. Helping do the job. You know, I come, I get done. On those nights when it's tough to come, on those nights when you're tempted to be busy or tired or sick, and you really aren't, just say, God, there's disciples to be made. What a great thing for teenagers to be making disciples of children. I, I, saw, I saw Jesse Hughes running Oh, I got nursery today. I got nursery today. You know, he's probably thinking, I'm glad I don't have to listen to Pastor Dave rattle on and on and on. <laughs> he was excited to go serve in the nursery. That's great. We can make disciples by connecting with people in the nursery as well and with parents of nursery children. Leaders of any group, if you're, if you're making banners, if you're cleaning the building, if you're fixing the building, if you're doing any job, the library, whatever, I want to challenge you to ask God to help you focus on making disciples in your group as well as with what you do in the impact. Children, you can be part of the disciple-making team. You can be helpers. You can hold an umbrella and greet guests. You can go to the retirement home with your parents and love the shut-ins. Friends, if you're part of this church but not connected to the chain of discipleship, I want to challenge you to become a disciple-maker. What a great privilege is ours. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put some people on the spot, but all I'm going to ask you to do is to stand up because I want everybody else to know how they can get connected to making disciples. Daly, would you stand up? Daly is the commander of the Iwana. Mom, would you stand up? She organizes the, the children's Sunday school. Jerry Ward, would you stand up? He, he's in charge of maintaining the facility. Kathy Golay, I think, is probably down in the nursery in the children's church, and that's what she does, and she needs help there. Um, Carl and Cindy, would you stand up? They work with the with the junior high, the, the high schoolers, excuse me, and they're you know they had that big thing yesterday. Jeff and Susan are are away from us today. They work with the junior higher. Sue, would you stand up? She's going to lead the the kids choir. Charlotte, is Charlotte here? She's not here today. She leads the deaconess. Thank you. You can all sit down. Those are a few people you could talk to to get connected and say, hey, can I help you? And here's what I want you to say: Can I help you make disciples? I want us to think that way. It's all about helping people. If you're hammering a nail in the building, the mentality needs to be, I'm getting this place ready for people to come know the Lord. 
when we're trying to work together to make decisions as organizing groups in the church, we need to constantly keep that in our mind. This is not about me getting my way done. This is about us making disciples. Disciples are made by the church. It takes a church to make a disciple, but disciples are also made by servants. Listen to this. this, this This just blows me away, and yet it doesn't. Now, there was also a dispute among them, among the the men we call the apostles now, as to which one of them should be the greatest. Can you imagine that discussion? Now, Glenn, I got to tell you, I hear hear Peter talking about how great he is. I think you're the greatest, you know, And, and, uh, and, and, and Chuck... You know, I know that Thomas, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you, if I was to stack it up, it'd be Glenn and then you, probably me right there next, you know, none of these other guys. They're having this discussion. Can you believe that? They're hanging out with the Son of God and they're talking about, I mean, that's like me, like I play golf. Yeah, really. (laughs) That's like me standing next to Tiger Woods. Me and Chuck and Glenn, and we're going to argue about who's the greatest. And there's Tiger Woods. Come on! Come on! And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table yet? I am among you as the one who serves. This is like when he washed feet. He said, you know I'm the, I'm the God of the universe and I'm washing your feet. Same thing here. He says, look guys, you need to be servants. Servant leadership. Servant leaders serve the church, out of, serve the, the body of believers, not the building, the body of believers out of a heart of gratefulness to God and love for people without concern for personal achievement or accolade. Servant leaders don't care whose idea is used as long as it is the most effective at making disciples. Servant leaders take the initiative to create and sustain ministry for the sake of the disciples. Servant leaders work through and resolve hurts and offenses because they care more for the disciples than they do for themselves. Our daughter goes to a church in Los Angeles. She's there right now. And they say, I serve in the nursery and I worship at this time. I serve at 9 and I worship at 10, whatever time the services are. It's their mentality. They say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. It's not I have a job to do. Oh, I've got nursery today. No, hey, I get to serve young families today. Oh, I've got to go to Awana tonight. No, you don't. You get to serve children. You get to bring them closer to the Lord. (sighs) Um, TV show Extreme Makeover, where they take somebody's house and make it over. You know, when they first started that show, they would go in and remodel, add on. Now they just smash it flat, start over, just, just quicker. You got an old beater house, and we're going to tear it down and give you a new one. Frequently after that, people will say, this has changed my life. 
This has changed our lives. Our lives will never be the same. And I, I would expect that's true to some extent. Do you know what? We are the ones who have the ability, by God's help, to give someone an extreme makeover. An eternal destiny in heaven, a change of life now. That's our privilege. I hope you're involved in that. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your truth that's changed our lives. Thank you for your truth that's changed my life. I'm so thankful. <sighs> Father, help me to be making disciples, not just dispensing truth. Help me to be a good witness for you wherever you take me. Help us to be a team that wins people to Christ and grows them up. Thank you for that privilege. I pray in Christ's name, amen.